from Romans 12. We're continuing in uh, the 12th chapter of Romans after introducing some of the themes that we'll be talking about this morning in the homily from last week. Let love be genuine. Which could be translated, by the way, love is genuine. Love is genuine. Therefore, you know, so maybe try out listening to it both ways. Um, Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave room for the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. By doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear a list of behavioral do's and don'ts, like the ones in front of us this morning, living this way, living that way, living this way, living that way. don't do this, do that. When I hear those, makes me feel a little bit uneasy, a little apprehensive. I think to myself, oh wow, here is yet another opportunity to measure up, and I won't measure up. I won't measure up, I'll feel defeated, and I'll feel ashamed, but I will hide that defeat and shame from others as best I can. And I will, even though I will try not to, I will succumb to the temptation to make it seem like I am doing better than I am. And I will become inauthentic in the process. Sounds dismal, right? It is dismal. But thanks be to God, I only feel this way for a little bit. As the kids say these days. I only feel this way for a minute. Know what the kids say these days? Minute? I hear minute all the time. Minute stands for everything now. Um, I only feel this way for a little bit. Then I remember that these imperatives to live in a certain way, they need to be heard in the context in which Paul intended them to be heard. Caleb said when he called us to worship this morning, we have ambitious reasons for being here. Now he meant a lot when he said that. 
And I was thinking to myself as he said it, one of the ambitious things that we're going to undertake this morning is to hear these challenges, these exhortations, these imperatives, to hear them as good news, to hear them as blessings. That's the way Paul intended for them to be heard. Because he intended for them to be heard in the context of the overall message of the gospel. As we mentioned last week in the warm-up for this week, we're meant to hear these exhortations as those people who have been made able by the Spirit to present our whole lives as a worshipful response to God's merciful love for us and for our world. And when we're in that posture of worship, which is, is, is no better represented than when we come to this table every week. When we're in that posture of worship, we're in a posture of receiving from God the new life as a gift. And that's why we can hear these imperatives, these challenges these exhortations. That's why we're made able by the Spirit to hear them not as things to measure up to, but as gifts and blessings of God. A new life that comes to us as a gift. This brings us very near, doesn't it, to the absolute heart of the gospel. This notion that when we become, this notion that when we are brought into relationship with Christ by the mercies of God, that we become who we are becoming. I forget who I'm quoting there. Somebody good, but they put it that way. That we become who we are becoming in spite of our sin. In spite of every human limitation. We become who we are in Christ as God's gift of new life to us, not through our own efforts. And that insight, that's one of the overarching themes of Paul's letter to the Romans, indeed the whole gospel, the whole arc of scripture, that God makes righteous the unrighteous. As you hear an echo of Bonhoeffer, which Caleb read on the way to communion this morning, that God makes righteous the unrighteous, which is the sine qua non, by the way, of the Christian faith. It's, it's what makes the Christian faith unique among the religions of the world. The Episcopalian priest and wonderful author Fleming Rutledge puts it this way in her book on the preaching of the cross. Religion in general, quote, religion in general has as its purpose to create godly people. Godliness is the goal. But twice Paul refers to the justification of the ungodly, which is the most irreligious thing that's ever been said. It cuts against religion. We cannot achieve our own godliness. It must be given to us. End quote. And it's given to us when we're united, baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So back to the imperatives that are in front of us this morning. Don't hear them as, as judgments against you. You're in Christ. You've been judged righteous by his life, death, and resurrection. 
Don't hear those as judgments that give you against you. Hear them as exhortations to live in a certain kind of way made possible by Christ's empowering presence in our lives. As God summons us to live into our new identity, he enables us to embrace this new life as gift. Just as much a gift as the grace of our union with Christ in baptism is a gift. As Paul puts it this way, remember from last week in Romans 6, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The life of Christ is ours as gift, just as the benefits of Christ's death are ours as gift. It's all ours as gift. So the purpose of these exhortations here is not to make us try harder, but to encourage us to return to a posture of worship, posture of thanksgiving, of praise and confession before God, that we are but creatures, that he is our creator, and that we need our minds transformed by the Spirit so that we might see the world rightly and have the power of God at work in us so that we may walk with the grain of Jesus' cruciform life and against the selfish, life-sapping ways of this world. When we hear these words as encouragement to lay hold of them as gifts, we remember that even in our imperfect embrace of them, God is at work there too. Even, in a way, especially in our imperfect embrace of them as gift, God is at work there too. Forgiving our sins and, and setting us back on a hopeful trajectory. Setting us free to lay hold of them over and over again. You move toward them. And you, uh, today... I'm going to love my enemy, and then you don't. Is it a judgment against you? No. It's an invitation for repentance and confidence that God will reset you and put you on a trajectory to become more and more like Jesus in that area of your life. I've shared this before. Permit me to share it again because I think it's apropos for, for what we're talking about today. Other than being a pastor, the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done in my life is to coach junior varsity tennis. <laughs> and I, th this is what I've shared before. Hopefully it's been long enough where I can get away with sharing it again. But there was a young kid, he came into, and, and some of you kids that are in here this morning, I bet that you're getting into athletics, right? Well, imagine this. A young man came in to try out for the tennis team, and he did not have enough physical arm strength to keep the racket in his I know what Palmer is saying. No, you told me this story too many times, Dad. Can I tell the rest of everybody? <laughs> he did not have, I'm glad you remembered, he did not have enough physical arm strength to keep the racket steady in his hand for an entire practice. And so I realized that, you know, for him to be able to make the team, 
and go through a whole practice and play in matches that weight training was going to have to be like a huge part of this kid's development, more than most tennis players, right? Uh, In order just to get the physical strength to make it through a practice. And I told him, I looked in his eyes that day and I said, you know what? Do what I tell you to do. Do it with me and you will make the team. Now, I could say that to him because I knew that if he went and worked out and did all those things, that he would, in fact, increase his capacity and his strength uh, to be a tennis player. I knew it. Not because I'm smart, but that's because how God made us. That's just how it works, right? So I could say it to him. And, and, And so when he's feeling bad about himself... I'm able to look him in the eye and say, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. And and, and that's that's how we should hear um, these words, these imperatives to live a certain way. Uh, We we should hear them as, as words of encouragement, as promises that we will be made able to lay hold of that new life in Christ that looks like the description here. We will be able to do it by God's grace and mercy. And even in our imperfections and failure, God works in those scenarios to prompt in us that cycle of repentance that puts us in a posture of worship again, that puts us in a posture of receiving again, and then we're reset to go at it again in the confidence that over and over and over again, that cruciform life of Christ wears into us, and we move into its groove, and we become more and more like Christ, not by our own efforts, but by the mysterious outworking and inworking of the Spirit in us. So we hear these words as promises of the new life in Christ that's ours as a gift and into which we are promised a hopeful future. When we hear these words of exhortation, we do have ambitious um, expectations. We have ambitious expectations to hear them as good news and not as measures against us. So, when we hear these challenges that Paul set out, I'm only going to talk about three of them with you this morning. We hear them in this kind of way. Instead of being trapped in the death spiral of seeking revenge, right? Love your enemies. Instead of being trapped in that death spiral of seeking revenge, the Spirit speaks to us and reminds us that Jesus forgave his enemies It reminds us that God forgave us and loved us even when we were his enemies. And so we hear that challenge and we're set free, even if we don't do it perfectly all the time, we're set free to make go after go after go at loving our enemies instead of cursing them. Why? Because God meets us in the promise that he makes that if we lay claim of Christ's life as gift, He will enable us to live in that cruciform pattern. And then we hear the words associate with the lowly. When you hear them as words of encouragement, then even when we don't do it perfectly, 
we're reminded that there's an opportunity to repent. Repent specifically of seeing other people as useful to us, only if they can help us get ahead. And then the Spirit brings the Word of God to life in us. And we remember that Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited for himself, but poured himself out for the lowly, for me. And I'm free to repent of my selfishness. And I'm empowered in the repentance to seek out those who I have, who have nothing to offer me, and then I discover along the way that they do in fact have something to offer me and that maybe I have something to offer them as well. And then when I hear the words, do what is noble in the sight of all, and I hear them as a blessing, then I remember the staggering scope of God's love and embrace of all people. And I'm convicted of my small view of the world. I'm convicted of my desire to work for the good of only those who are most like me. And in my repentance, I'm set free to embrace the promise that, that if I work for the good of all people, not just people like me, that I will meet Jesus in the midst of them. And I will receive love and encouragement from him in the process. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world if you hear these exhortations as blessings that God promises to bring about in your life, then you welcome them. You welcome them as encouragement and wisdom. And you know that if you welcome them in that posture of worship, that, that God will enable you to live that way, not perfectly, but more so and more so as that cruciform pattern Jesus talks about there, you know, where he says that, you know, those who follow me must take up their cross and follow me. And then in the process, they, 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 they you know, those who, who, who lose their lives as they would live them on their own strength and wisdom, those who lose their lives, they're going to find their lives in fulfillment in the process. And, and that, that pattern of hearing these as blessings instead of as, as judgments against us enables us to welcome them into our life as promises to lay hold of. And then when we don't do them perfectly, we're reminded that built into our life with God is that perpetual forgiveness and welcome of God that resets us to then make another run at them again in the power of the Spirit. I want to end with a quote by um, Michael Gorman, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, because it, it leads us into where we're going in the final uh, homily in this series next Sunday. It's going to be a continuation uh, of this part of Romans. Gorman says this, Paul wanted the church not merely to believe the gospel, but to become the gospel and thereby to advance the gospel, thus participating in the very life and mission of God. When, when you hear these admonitions, these exhortations as gift and blessing, you are participating in the very life of God, the mission of God. You're walking with the grain of the universe. You're walking in the cruciform life of God. 
And when you get it right, your life is cross-shaped. When you get it wrong, your life is cross-shaped. And it leads you where God wants you to be. Go forth. Hear these words as blessings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.